Welcome to the Modern Yogi Podcast. An exploration of ancient wisdom. Hello, hello everyone. Welcome back. Welcome back. We are episode number 41. 41. Uh, Thank you so much for joining us. If you have any comments, questions, concerns, please visit our Instagram at Modern Yogi Podcast and we'd be happy to hear from you. So we are on chapter six, text number 19, but a recap of the last episode. Shalmali, you want to start us off? Actually, Priya, Priya, sorry. Priya has some ideas that are bubbling up. You know, like just putting it all together, right? So for chapter, uh, for text 16, we talked a little bit about how we're not supposed to eat too much or eat too little, sleep too much or eat too Sleep too little. <laughs> Wait, what am I saying? Not, we that eat means? while we yeah. sleep and when we're awake. We <laughs> Basically, moderation, right? right moderation yes. in eating, moderation in sleeping. And then it kind of goes on further to talking about how we got to be not just moderated, regulated in general, regulated right. with our eating, our sleeping, our recreation, our work. All these things will help us in our process of being able to meditate because mm-hmm. dhyana yoga is meditation, right? Yes. And so then it furthermore goes into text 18 and it goes... Well, okay, so you don't sleep too much. You don't eat too much, not too little of those things either. And then you also kind of regulate your sleep, uh, your recreation, your work, and all the other aspects of your life. And then on top of that, in order to be able to actually practice this yoga of meditation, this thing, you have to discipline your mental activity. So control your mind, like understanding the mind, being able to tolerate the mind, being able to understand the mind, control all the aspects of the mind, because the mind is a really powerful thing that can deviate us from meditating, from focusing, from our spiritual growth. Exactly, exactly. Beautiful recap. Arjuna even tells Krishna, the mind is more difficult to control than the wind. How how Mm. do we do it? So yeah, basically it says in purport of text 18, a perfect yogi is so well disciplined in the activities of the mind that he can no longer be disturbed by any kind of material desire. Now to reach that level, that takes patience, hard work, Pra- daily practice because how we're disturbed every other second by the mind. Oh, by, yeah. yep. We're pulled all over the place. So if we engage our mind and all our senses and devotional service, that's one way for us to also like control the mind. And mm-hmm. it is said that um, doing these devotional service or prescribed activities are called archana or engaging all the senses in the service of the Lord. Oh, so, nice. So that's that's part Archana. of the process. Archana. And you know, nice. they give a little passage in the purport that we don't have to read all of it, but it just gives an example of someone who very in an idyllic way dedicates everything to the Lord. And now we've talked about it's a sliding scale. You want do what you can do. If you can't do this, do that. If you can't do that, do this. Like it, it goes in levels. But King Ambarish, they give an example of how this this famous king from ancient times dedicated everything. He was a very devoted devotee. (laughs) So it says King Ambarish, first of all, engaged his mind on the lotus feet of Lord Krishna. Then one after another, he engaged his words in describing the transcendental qualities of the Lord, his hands in mopping the temple of the Lord, his ears in hearing the activities of the Lord, his eyes in seeing the transcendental forms of the Lord. And, And so on, it continues, his sense of smell in smelling the scents of the lotus flowers offered to the Lord, his tongue in tasting the tulasi leaf offered at the lotus feet of the Lord, his legs in going to places Places of pilgrimage and the temples of the Lord, his head in offering obeisances unto the Lord, and his desires in executing the mission of the Lord. 
Beautiful. All these Engaging your senses. Yeah. And the last line just says, all these transcendental activities are quite befitting a pure devotee. And I love the last part about his desires in executing the mission of the Lord, because we can totally apply that to us. We've all, every single person, everyone listening right now has been given a unique set of gifts, of qualities, of traits that you can discover those and try to use those and dovetail those qualities in executing the mission of the Lord, which like we've said, if you've come into contact with this philosophy, why not spread it? It is going to help nourish everyone else's soul. So that can be using your gifts to spread this in whatever way you can. Definitely. So that's text 18, 16 through 18. Right. And now we're going to oh, get started with text 19. There's yes. one point, one last point in text 18 that I think is super important. It's about... um being okay it says one line unless the mind is fixed on the lotus feet of the lord by constant remembrance such transcendental engagements are not practical because you know the senses and mind they require engagement mm -hmm. simple abnegation or priya what does abnegation mean uh, like mm, choosing nothing or a refusal right. or right you had said earlier words. renunciation yes, right renunciation. so yes. simple abnegation or renouncing everything is not practical we need to be engaged so okay it's one thing to say okay okay i'm gathering that i need to renounce all material desires i'll just do nothing no you can't just do that that's not practical we need to engage our mind and our senses they're going to keep rolling or even the, the idea of meditating right thinking of nothing right doesn't mean you're actually thinking of nothing you can't really do that so instead of thinking of nothing think of krishna think of his pastimes or if his lessons that he teaches in the Bhagavad Gita, how to implement them. Right. Like utilizing what we have in a positive way rather than trying to detach and say exactly. like, oh, I'm not going to even think at all. Right. We need to be engaged. So like Priya said, how can I engage my mind and senses to, we talked last episode about structuring our lives in a way to make room for Krishna or how can I use everything I've been given to give back and spread Krishna consciousness. So for people in general, especially when we're not in the renounced order of life and haven't given up everything, transcendental engagement of the senses and mind is the perfect process for transcendental achievement, which is called yukta in the Bhagavad Gita. And transcendental engagement, that's a fun, I mean, we have to work our whole lives to be transcendentally engaged, you know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying, girls? It's not easy. It is not easy. No, it is not. <laughs> All right, we're going to start off now with text number 19. But before that, the invocation, please, ladies. Om Jnana Timirandasya Jnananjana Shalakaya Shakshurun Militam Yena Tasmai Shri Gurave Namaha Translation, I was born in the darkest ignorance and my spiritual master opened my eyes with a torch of knowledge. I offer my respectful obeisances onto him. All right. That was a beautiful recap. Thank you so much, ladies. All right. We're starting chapter six, text number 19. As a lamp in a windless place does not waver, so the transcendentalist whose mind is controlled remains always steady in his meditation on the transcend transcendent self. Let me try that one more time. Mm. As a lamp in a windless place does not waver, so the transcendentalist whose mind is controlled remains always steady in his meditation on the transcendent self. 
You know what this reminds me of? So this morning I went to a farmer's market and they were having um, like a kid's birthday party in a playground. Mm. And this mother kept trying to light candles and it was so <sighs> windy outside. Oh. <laughs> I mean, I shouldn't be laughing, but <laughs> she had to do it like four times. But okay, bring it back to the pizza for a second. Um, but it's so hard, right? As a lamp in a windless place does not waver. That's what we need to be with our minds, right? Yeah. Our, also, this, yeah. this, sorry, I, I, I Sorry, I was just thinking a lamp in this scenario, this is being said by Krishna. So a lamp was like, like a candle, like a torch, like it wasn't like a light, like the, what we have nowadays. Right. It's a candle, right? It's a perspective. I think it was a candle or like I think a, it was a birthday candle that Krishna was talking about. <laughs> <laughs> right. So imagine how much a candle flickers. It's impossible if you hold a candle outside to keep it still, just yes. like it's impossible to keep our mind still, as we said in the recap, unless it's engaged in something. We have to engage it. That's what I was trying to say, but I just, I kept, I got lost. <laughs> I'm sorry, I think I interrupted you. No, no, no. That's what I was trying to say, but you put it together perfectly. So I'm like, that was great. (laughs) I was trying, I couldn't bring it back to the verse, but but it's true, right? We need to be that birthday candle. Our mind needs to be that birthday candle in a very quiet place for it to be still. Mm. And it's so hard to do that sometimes. You know, this makes me think I want to share one thing about my spiritual teacher who I've mentioned already passed away. And when he passed away, he didn't take any, any, um, uh, oh my God, brain fart. Uh, the, 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 the word for when you're in pain, you take medication, painkillers, medication. Pain medication. There we go. Tylenol. <laughs> sure. Mm. But I think a I'm little perfect. more intense than Tylenol for his, you know, he had stage four cancer. He was basically being eaten alive on the inside and he didn't take anything. And when the doctor heard that at his level of cancer, he wasn't taking any painkillers, the doctor literally like bowed down and said, what he is doing is inhuman. He's tolerating so much more pain than let's say if 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 a hundred percent is how much pain you can possibly tolerate. He was at ninety five percent tolerating oh, wow. so so much that is humanly Ugh. impossible, and yet he was so so absorbed in his mind and senses on chanting the Lord's name, on hearing the Lord's name. So they were saying. It's impossible to tolerate that much pain just if you're tolerating. You need to add something. And Mm. that's what my spiritual master was doing. He was being absorbed completely. So that reminds me of kind of what we're talking about now. The mind is going to waver all over the place and you can't, it's not enough just to say, let me still the mind. I've also heard that about um, women in labor. Mm. Like it's really difficult to, because it's so painful, right? Right. It's a very difficult, painful thing. But there's some women who... Um, are able to practice like mindfulness and I know it sounds crazy but just like breathing and focusing on something Mm. and like like meditating almost right right, in that moment and they're able to have a better experience where the pain is not exactly their body so I think it's like similar similar like the mind can help you control the pain they can help you kind of redirect right because if you're not it's not enough to just tolerate on its own. You can't yeah. just tolerate, you need to be absorbed. So that's kind of what we're talking about now with the mind and senses. You can't just stop them and just say, okay, yeah. renounce everything. Mm-hmm. You need to absorb them and engage them because the mind will keep rolling if yeah. not. It's this notion of mind over matter, right? And matter yeah. is so much around right, us. And, right. But if you can make your mind strong, like like your, your guru did, right? It's like you can tolerate anything, right? Yeah. But it's a matter of spending your entire life mm. making that mind strong. That's such a good point. Spending your entire life because this is not a cheap experience. This is not something that like with drugs and alcohol, you take it and you immediately feel the effects. This is something that it's a lifetime in preparation that you're going to have to practice every single day diligently. It's not a cheap thing to experience true love of God. It's like something magical, something 
priceless that you need to put your effort. Yeah. And imagine someone who, I mean, right now, any of us who are experiencing anxiety, how easily our mind is like, okay, this is it. This is overtaking me. Like we let anxiety sort of take over us. Like being able to like help our mind focus and control and all this stuff helps us deal with the small small quote-unquote and small thing of anxiety right. and, and all the other things that come in our life so when you are and like at the time of death where things are very difficult and very like you're prepared because you've been practicing throughout exactly. your life with these other smaller things that we might see you know have you ever looked back at your school years and always thought like oh gosh uh, let's just say um you're in 12th grade and you think oh wow ninth grade was so easy i can't believe i thought that was hard Right. right. Or you're in college and you're like, oh, wow, high school was so easy. I can't believe I thought that was hard. It kind of is like that for the rest of your life. Right. Mm, yep. and so just like preparing slowly for these things that feel huge right now. If we're able to handle these things that feel huge right now, then as they get a little bit mm-hmm. harder sometimes in life, we're more adept to build. Right. Build on yeah, top of I love that. that. That's a great example. That's such a good point, Priya, to do it in the times also that are good, because how can you expect that if you don't do it, as you said, throughout your life, how can I think of all these elevated topics at the time of death when my body is essentially shutting down Mm. and if the goal i don't know how much we talked about it but i'm sure we will if the goal is to think of krishna at the time of death because they say you're going to go wherever your mind is you know wherever whatever your consciousness is thinking about at the time of death that's essentially where you'll go or what you'll become so if we want to go back to our eternal home to krishna let's hope we think of krishna at the time of death so as you say if we don't kind of practice this steadily throughout our life how are we going to think of that at the time of death when everything is so heightened and in pain and whatever form of death you'll <laughs> will get reach you, I'm right. sure it's not going to be the most pleasant experience. So yeah. let's do it in the times that are pleasant. So when the difficult moments kick in, at all, all our times. practice kicks yeah. in. Yeah. There's only one line in this entire purport. <laughs> yeah. I'd, I'd like to do read it. it. Yeah. yeah. A, a truly Krishna conscious person always absorbed in transcendence in constant undisturbed meditation mm. on his worshipful Lord Krishna is as steady as a lamp in a windless place. Mm. Right. I love how you read that in constant undisturbed meditation. Yeah. It's true. But it's true, right? It's somewhat, if we're trying to be modern yogis and we are engaging ourselves in undisturbed meditation on Krishna, we can be as steady as a lamp in a windless place. Yeah. No, I, I love that you read it, how, how you read it, because it made me think of, um, totally off topic, ages ago, I took like an acting class and they were saying, put emphasis on the parts that are important. So you totally emphasized the part of the line that stood out to me also. Love. That is the constant undisturbed meditation. You have to just be able to consistently do it in an undisturbed place. And how do we get to an undisturbed place? By operating in the mode of goodness. How do we operate in the mode of goodness? By structuring your life in that way. So everything we've been talking about is building off of each other. Yeah, love that. Sweet. So text 20-23. Three. This is going to be a long one to unpack. Three texts. Okay. All right. In the stage of perfection called trance or samadhi, one's mind is completely restrained from material mental activities by practice of yoga. This perfection is characterized by one's ability to see the self by the pure mind and to relish and rejoice in the self. In that joyous state, one is situated in boundless transcendental happiness, realized through transcendental senses. Established thus, one never departs from the truth. And upon gaining this, he thinks there is no greater gain. Being situated in such a position, one is never shaken even in the midst of great difficulty. This is indeed the actual freedom from all miseries arising from material contact. 
That was a long one. All right. That was yeah. one of the longest verses. Krishna yes. didn't even breathe. He just said that all the time. <laughs> that was beautiful. Yeah. Right. So well, let's break it down. Let's break that down. Yeah. I think there's a lot to break down in the text as well as in the purport. Can this we go just, line by line yeah, on the let's text? Go. Let's do that. So in the stage of perfection called trance or samadhi, one's mind is completely restrained from material mental activities by practice of yoga. Okay. So okay. picture this. Picture a yogi, maybe mm-hmm. a modern yogi, sitting under a tree. And they're practicing meditation and they are very focused. They've been sitting there, their body's straight, they're breathing deeply. (sighs) I hope you all breathe deeply with us. If you didn't, here's another one. Okay, breathe, inhale. And long exhale. Continue, Priya. Sorry. And so you are so focused that you get into this trance, samadhi. Right. Mm. And you're no longer thinking about the grass under your butt. You're no longer thinking. <laughs> I did not expect you to say that because your voice was so soothing. And then you said, but. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, didn't okay. I didn't know what else to say. I thought about it for a second. Okay. Booty. Um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> you're not thinking about the wind passing through, as it graces your arms. You're not thinking about the leaves falling from the tree. You're so focused that you are not really experiencing the material mental mm-hmm. activities. Mm. You're not focused about your hunger. You're not worried about anything happening in your body. You are in a trance, in a mental transcendental state. That's right. the first sentence. And you can do this through the pa- practice of dhyana yoga, which is, again, the meditation Meditation, aspect, concentration, yeah. Right. What we've been talking about. And when we dove, just side note, when we dovetail dhyana yoga into bhakti yoga, the meditation would just be, we're meditating on Krishna, on yes. chanting his holy names. Yeah, anything right. else on the first line? I, I think that was the first line. You guys want to add something else? It just that? struck me while you were describing it. I like how you broke it down because normally one might think, oh, when I go out into nature and I'm absorbed in nature and looking around me, I'm focusing on the present, mm-hmm. that's meditation. But this is taking it a step further of, that's kind of like, okay, we're getting peaceful. We're clear our mind, but that's not real, like transcendental meditation because we're still very much putting our focus on the material realm. So I like how you described it. You really broke it down because that does mean essentially we have to put our focus into something transcendental, something beyond this material realm, which I think a lot of people have the notion of like, yeah, if I go on a walk and I'm focused on the breeze and everything that you said not to focus on, I'm <laughs> meditating, but not not really. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I think this is describing the particular dhyana yoga process of not focusing on the body. So that's that's why I described right. it that way. Because I, it's, I, I, it's I, valid, it's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I do think that some people meditate by saying, like taking in the environment, breathing in, letting their thoughts kind of drift from the stress of the world. And that could right. be a valuable way of meditating. Like I agree with what you're saying. And then I also think that there's this form in which is like more strict. And then we know it's more strict because we've been talking about what it requires to even get to the stage, right? Right. Like you have to not, like you regulate your sleep, regulate your activities. Like all of these steps come before even getting to this place where you can, because if you're super regulated, you can meditate. You know, you already ate. You don't even have to think about being hungry. (laughs) You know, you already slept. You're not tired. Like that's kind of like what I picture, right? Yeah, because that's the thing. You described a deeper level because when most people do think of, oh, the wind, the breeze, the sun and all those things, that only takes you so far. You can calm the mind. You can achieve a nice peaceful mm-hmm. state. If you have anxiety, that's super valuable to do. But the road goes deeper. What yeah. are we striving for? 
Right. Uh, don't you think, Shamali, that Priya could lead a meditation class? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> With that soothing voice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I would just, say, but. Yeah. And oh. then I would. <laughs> <laughs> Very soothing. Okay. So that was the first line. Okay. This perfection is characterized by one's ability to see the self by the, by the pure mind and to relish and rejoice in the self. I can so continue self- it. Yeah, yeah, do go, it. Go, 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 go. But just okay. so let me say, yeah. self is capital S. So they're referring to. Let's clarify. What are they referring to well, by self? If you are not yet at the point of thinking about Krishna, particularly, I guess right. they would be thinking about just like supreme energy. But you're, we're talking about Krishna. High, here they're talking about maybe like your soul, your higher self, like Krishna Parma, in your heart, your heart. Parma, Krishna in your heart. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, right. it is talking about Krishna. It's yeah. just you know. And Priya, do you want okay. me to say the line again? Or are you good? No, no. It's okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. All right. So you're still sitting under that tree. The breeze is coming by. You're not even feeling it. There's no hunger in your stomach. There's no tiredness in your body. You're not even really considering what your fingers are feeling or anything around. You're just in this trance. And in this trance, you've come to the ability to see not only who you really are, your soul, you can visualize your soul, but you can picture Krishna mm. and you can really like understand something beyond what you've been understanding thus far. Oh my and God, I'm can... getting goosebumps. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Wow. Yeah. And then you just rejoice. Like you're so happy and you're like, wow, I get to attain this. This is, wow, this is Krishna, right? And yeah. Yeah. You're, you're the tasting experience. the sweetness of it. Of seeing, of experiencing, of understanding, and you're still sitting there, still, you know, in that park, but nothing is affecting you because you're so deeply focused. Yep. And this is totally possible for everybody. It might not feel that way if you start meditating and our mind goes in a million directions. It might we might get frustrated, like, what joy is there in this? But just stick to it. It takes time and patience, and that step will come. Mm-hmm. Love it. Third line. In that joyous stay, which Priya just described. One is situated in boundless transcendental happiness, realized through transcendental senses. Yeah. Mm. So it's not your physical senses of feeling the grass and the wind and the sun. It's not those, but rather like vision within, because your eyes are probably close, right? They're like really close where they're like just looking at your nose, right? That's what we described a couple of texts back. So it's not really about you actually seeing, but it's like you're seeing something within your mind. It's something you're not experiencing in a physical it's way. It's beyond right? your material senses. Yes. yes. Mm. Love that. Okay. <laughs> um, established thus, one never departs from the truth. And upon gaining this, he thinks there is no greater gain. This is oh, an important line. line, no? Yep. Because once you get a taste of what's really, really real, yeah. Yeah. Then you, there's no turning back. Then it's kind of like, what's that term when, okay, this is a funny comparison, but when people get, um, I, I myself haven't done like super intense drugs, but I've heard the term when you get like the high from really intense drugs and you're always chasing the, what, chasing the dragon. What's the, there's a term for it. Like <laughs> you're asking the wrong audience. I don't yeah. know. Okay. <laughs> this is the wrong group to so discuss this. Drugs. Whatever. But the point is like, <laughs> Someone like a loser says, oh, I'm really bad at I'm drugs. I'm so sorry. You know, I live in California, but it's not a real experience. Chasing they're, the dragon. Let's just call it that. Sure. Let's call it chasing the dragon. Oh, my God. My Someone out there might know exactly right what you're talking about. Right. So but hey, if you do them. a lot of drugs, please message us on Modern Yogi so we know what the actual phrase is. <laughs> uh, okay. Sure. But the concept of it is you, you might, you're always chasing this high that's almost like unachievable and 
And when you're finally taste this, you're always wanting to like chase that feeling of tasting it again, because this is, I mean, unlike drugs, this is actually really, really real and so mm. much better for you. But the point is like, once you taste it, you're hooked for life. You're never going to forget it because it's the most incredible, um, beyond words feeling is like, whoa, this is what the scriptures are all talking about. And yeah. This is what I'm going to strive my life to achieve again and again and again till it's no longer something that I ping pong back and forth. It's my current always inner state. Yep. Yeah. Can we go back to the meditation for a second? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. do the meditation. Okay. So you're seeing your soul. You're seeing Krishna as that sparkle next to your soul. And then you're seeing Krishna himself smiling at you, giving you this sort of understanding and knowledge that the universe is vast, that you're a small speck and that you have a great opportunity to achieve uh, a greater happiness outside of this world. And you know in that moment that it is true because you're seeing something that doesn't make sense in any other way mm. except what the scriptures have been telling you thus far. And then you will never forget that moment because it's so amazing mm. that you reach that point of understanding. So there is nothing greater because how can there be something greater? Like if you were able to see the universe right now, you would remember that forever. You would know that there's nothing greater than what I just experienced mm. because I've never seen something so incredible and vast and amazingly created. Okay, that's it. Priya needs to be a meditation coach. Just take my money. Take my money. Take all, take all my money. That's beautiful. You never experienced a greater joy than that. Yeah. That was really beautiful. I mean, imagine. I, yeah. I mean, I used to do my meditations in the morning at the marina, like months and months and months and months ago, right? But I, at first I would walk by all these boats and I would be like, oh, I would want that boat and I want that boat and I want <laughs> right. that boat. And then I was like, no, 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 I can't be attached to these material desires. And I just focused on my chanting. And now I walk by the boats and I'm like, there's nothing better than this moment of me chanting and just mm. walking past. And I don't need mm. this. If it comes to me, great, but I don't need this. Right. <sighs> and so I think that was really beautiful how you explained that greatest <laughs> joy. Yeah. yeah. You know, I love the, the, the image of you walking by the boat and almost it made me think of, um, I don't remember the exact story, but along the lines of like Srila Prabhupada, the one who brought all this ancient wisdom to the West, he, I think they were driving past, like maybe he was in California. I don't even know, but when they were driving past the ocean and he saw all these surfers and he's like, they're suffering they're suffering or like driving past people that might seemingly think they're enjoying. <laughs> but when you haven't tasted the greatest joy out there, you really don't know what joy is. Yeah. So you're just, just, you're, you're passing the time. You're distracting yourself. You it's know, temporary so moments of happiness. Sure. Okay. Uh, but it's not, ah, mm. if anyone could just wake up and know what we're talking about, you know, then. Yep. <laughs> All yeah. right. Last two lines being situated in such a position one is never shaken, even in the midst of great difficulty. Priya. So you're sitting there. <laughs> <laughs> I take it seriously right now. Okay, okay, okay. I was also laughing a little. <laughs> Sorry, okay. go ahead. So you're picturing or you're seeing the galaxy, you're seeing Krishna, you're seeing your soul, and then you understand, oh, I stubbed my toe. That's not a big deal. So little. Okay, that, was just, that was just stupid. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No, but what I, I was trying to go for something, but I didn't want to minimize anyone's issues. So yeah. the, the idea is that, like, once you see the big picture, yeah. things that now 
make us feel miserable, such mm. as like a really hot day or something. Or someone gets a car accident. Someone gets or like, a car accident yeah. or someone passing away. Even that actually, right? Someone passing away. Yeah. Even that, when you get the big picture, you're happy they're not suffering anymore. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It doesn't really shake you yeah. the way that it might have done before. Oh, 100%. And mm-hmm. a lot of times when we don't have this knowledge and we don't have Krishna's wisdom, when things happen, a lot of times, and I've seen this so many times with my friends who aren't believers of this philosophy, they get really rattled, you know, right. like really shaken up right. or the point where they, they'll go into a depression for a couple of years just oh, to deal yeah. with that thing. Right. Yeah. yeah. Like I mentioned in the past episode, it's like um, with the bhakti perspective, what you might seemingly take as something negative, <clears throat> all of a sudden can become a positive because you can totally see Krishna's hand and you think, oh, okay, he's, he has a plan for me. He's taking me and guiding me in this direction and you can feel it. So in, with something that might seemingly be a loss, it's no longer a loss. It's something a new opportunity that Krishna is taking you towards. Mm-hmm. You said um, with the bhakti perspective and uh. I heard <laughs> boot a back tea and i was like what but back tea <laughs> i think you said it quick and my brain just didn't capture it so i just wanted to say with the bhakti perspective and doesn't krishna say somewhere i don't know if we've already read it or we're going to read it that you know when you're not a devotee or when you're not trying to develop a Krishna conscious perspective, you're very much under the influence of karma, good karma, bad karma, mm-hmm. do good, whatever. So, um, but when you become a devotee and essentially when you start trying to take steps towards Krishna, he takes personal interest and personal care in yes. your life to try to help you come closer to him since you're already putting that effort. Mm-hmm. So that's why then when you start developing the bhakti perspective. <laughs> that was just my brain. <laughs> no, yeah, yeah. I'm glad you clarified. When you start developing that perspective, then you start feeling Krishna's personal interest in your life. And it's so magical because you think, oh my God, the Supreme Lord is personally helping me on my path and in my life. And then nothing is negative for a devotee. Everything is positive because everything is bringing you closer to Krishna. Mm. That's beautiful. And this indeed is actual freedom from all miseries arising from material contact. Mm. Mm. This is a great, it's a very long verse, but it's a very powerful verse if you really yeah. think I'm about so it. I'm so happy you broke it down. I think that's really yeah, cool. That's I mean, really I had a good meditation coach, so. <laughs> <laughs> um, anything else uh, that we want to chat about in this verse? Yeah, a lot, a okay, lot. Cool, 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 cool. <laughs> so like, I highlighted so no, I mean, That's I don't even funny. know if so much, but there's a lot of important stuff. Yes. No, I agree. I agree. I was just being silly. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, so there's, we, in this verse, we talked a little bit again about Patanjali, the system of yoga. And it says mm-hmm. yoga is practiced more or less based on the principles of the Patanjali system. Like in general, the kinds right. of yoga that the physical yogas that people do, but also in this particular sense, the yogas that are spoke, spoken about in the Bhagavad Gita, such as the meditation, the breathings, all these aspects are like you were saying, parts of the eightfold system of Patanjali, right? Right, right exactly. So bhakti encompasses all of it. But if not, we start like, okay, step one, practice of yoga. One slowly, gradually becomes detached from material conceptions. And then after this, one can become situated in trance or samadhi which means that right through yoga we realize the super soul or like Priya says the little sparkle that's Krishna next to your heart (laughs) through transcendental mind and intelligence without any misgivings of identifying the self with the super self so without thinking I am God or I am Krishna we have a very clear understanding of there's myself my super soul or my soul and then Krishna within in the super soul 
Yeah. Um, I think this this verse also does a really interesting job at uh, comparing and contrasting sort of um, the impersonalists that believe like we're all one versus us. And then also like talking about bhakti yoga versus just yoga, like the Patanjali yoga. Mm, And how actually the Patanjali yoga is really aligned with bhakti yoga and it differs from this idea of oneness. Do you want to talk a little bit about the oneness, Shamali? Yeah, it gets into it. Um, Right before like, okay, first step I wanted to mention is uh, because it'll get there to the oneness. So it talks about how some unauthorized commentators, like there's many different interpretations of the Gita, but the one we're reading is the most, um, you know, the Bhagavad Gita as it is, as it was originally spoken by Krishna, the most true to the original words. And can I say another reason why it's also like, I've heard this from multiple people the Bhagavad Gita has been written by many people and oftentimes they put themselves in the Bhagavad Gita or they take Krishna out of the Bhagavad Gita Mm. and Krishna was the one that spoke it. So how can you take the Bhagavad Gita (laughs) out of the thing that was spoken by him? And so why this Bhagavad Gita is so powerful is because it keeps Krishna's words just as they are Mm -hmm. and it adds a commentary for us to understand further that does not have um, personal motivation of any kind, right? It's not like, oh, it's not like Prabhupada is saying, follow me, I am God, I am Krishna, which is what you'll see in a lot of Bhagavad Gita's oh, from other so people, many, yeah. right? Yeah. So this is a very like, here's the knowledge and here's supplemental information that could help you digest the knowledge and understand it better, exactly. which is why we really love Prabhupada's Bhagavad Gita um, above anyone. Right, it's, right. Yeah. So basically it talks about how some unauthorized commentators try to identify the individual soul with the super soul and uh, Monis, Monis, how do you pronounce it? And the mon, oh my god! I mean, I basically it's people who monists. I'm not sure. Monist, monist, monist. Why not? M O N I S T. Basically, people who believe in the oneness of everything. We're all one. We're not individual souls. So monists believe that this is liberation when when kind of we merge with with the great energy. But they don't understand the real purpose then of the Patanjali system of yoga, which as you said, Priya, it's very much connected to even though we're on the bhakti yoga path, we can see the purpose of the different stages of the Patanjali system. So there's an acceptance, in fact, of transcendental pleasure in the Patanjali system. Like we talked about in Priya's beautiful meditation, this pleasure of experiencing the supreme, we're tasting something real and we can accept that transcendental pleasure. But monists, gosh, I don't even know how I'm saying that. <laughs> but monist. people who believe in Stay the- with confidence. Monists. Monists. <laughs> it's on the confidence. confidence. <laughs> <laughs> but mo- I can't. Monists. Monists. You know what? Just, just point at Shamas and Kita and she'll say it for right. you every time. So, but- Monists. <laughs> do not accept this transcendental pleasure. <laughs> so they don't think it's a thing. This transcendental pleasure that we experience when really- ta- tasting the the sweetness of the Lord's presence in our life, they don't believe in that transcendental pleasure out of fear of jeopardizing the theory of oneness. So basically, maybe someone who might think in, I'm going to merge into the impersonal energy, we're all one. They try to maybe eliminate all types of joys because they just want to clear the mind, clear the senses and become one, right? And yeah, I mean, the, the disconnect is that in this meditation we were talking about, you're focusing on the real self. So Krishna, right? So how can you connect, uh, think about Krishna as like an, its own how can you think of krishna as an individual if you think everyone is not individual at all exactly like it's really hard to like, say 
Do you know what I'm yeah, trying yeah, to say? Yeah, math is I not mathing. It's, it's kind of yes. like, yeah, we're, we're a droplet, an individual droplet of the ocean with our individual soul. But, but when we go back to our eternal home, it's not that that droplet will merge again in the ocean. It's that we retain our, 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 our soul is our soul. We're not going to become part of Krishna's soul. You know, mm-hmm. we're individuals. So, um, and I love that it leaves such room for expression and and love, you know, that transcendental joy and pleasure they're talking about. It's an important point because we're not trying to eliminate emotions. Just when we say, you know, trying to minimize our material desires doesn't mean that transcendental desires and transcendental pleasure is still there and valid and real. Yeah. And so, yeah, basically in this verse, transcendental pleasure realized through trans- transcendental senses is accepted and what we strive for. We strive for experiencing that ultimate love. Yeah. And so it's really cool how they connect. Um, so they, Prabhupada talks about uh, Patanjali and the system and Patanjali Muni, the person, the famous person who um, brought this yoga system and how they do believe um, in the internal potency or transcendental potency. So they still mm-hmm. believe in Krishna. They still believe in the soul. And according to Patanjali, uh, they have this uh, name for it. It's called Kaivalyam. And it's an internal or transcendental potency by which the living entity becomes aware of his constitutional position. So I think we're here, we're talking about the super soul. And that is a connection that both Bhakti Yoga and the Patanjali system have. Oh, one question. I might got, I might have myself gotten lost, but the oneness was the supreme is Kaivalyam, right? And then Chit Sakti is the internal potency you're talking about, I think. If I read it correctly. It says, according to Patanjali, this Kaivalyam is an internal or transcendental potency by which the living entity becomes aware of his constitutional position. Oh, interesting. That's the next line. So it might be similar because right above it says, this oneness with the Supreme is called Kaivalyam. And then, right, you read right. the next so, line. So the, the, the yeah, explain, transcendentalist, explain. the transcendentalist think that um, oneness with the Supreme is called Kaivalyam. But the Patanjali people think Kaivalyam is more like our soul finally understanding that we're parts and parcels of Krishna, which is more closely connected to the bhakti mm. philosophy. Right. Does right. that make sense? I think so. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Shama, you want to dumb it down for anyone in that? I zoned out. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I completely oh, no. zoned out. No, you know no, what? I did that. Sorry, sorry for putting on the spot. It's I thought you were there with us. Nope. Let's there. This stuff makes sense also, but in this, in this one purport that we're looking at, there's a lot of Sanskrit words thrown around and I think it just has room for getting a little confusing. So I think we should keep it really simple. I I think we know transcendentalists, I know transcendentalists want to merge with the one, they're all one. We understand that we don't believe in that. We think we're all individual souls. And fortunately, the yoga systems of Patanjali also kind of agree with us that we are our own individual soul that can... Um, that have this internal transcendental potency. So the super soul that mm-hmm. eventually becomes aware or sorry, our soul who becomes aware of the super soul, right? So exactly. they really are kind of, it's really nice that the yoga system of Patanjali is very connected to the Bhakti yoga system, which is why we've been talking about it in the Bhagavad Gita. Right. So basically with people who believe in the oneness versus people who believe in the path of Bhakti, we have different ways to interpret the super soul within. So we might believe that uh, that internal potency or or the people who believe in oneness think that internal potency is something that then merges with the greater energy. We all become one versus on the path of bhakti. We know that this is something that we use to become aware of our eternal constitutional position. So our soul in relation to the supreme super soul, basically. Right. Yeah. 
Of course. <laughs> that's, that's what I was going to say. <laughs> Is there anything else on this verse? There's yeah, a ton. Um, yeah. There's like a lot of random. Anything that will really support the verse. Um, there's a lot of random fun facts. So like, okay. for example, they bring up Nirvana. They have to be fun though. Okay. Hey, have, you ever, have you ever talked about Nirvana before in the Bhagavad Gita? What's Nirvana? Oh, that's Ooh. right. Are you interested now? <laughs> I am interested. Okay, now they let me tell you about it. They have to be fun, okay? <laughs> if they're just facts, I don't want them. Um, okay. Okay, I'm joking, I'm joking, I'm joking. Okay, so the theory of Nirvana is um, also matches with our principles. And that's really cool because I've never really looked further into it. I just know the right. name of the band and I understand the general <laughs> right, concept. Right. So it says, after Nirvana or the material cessation. So Nirvana is the idea of like after you're dead, afterlife maybe? Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah. Just material cessation. So when you're after no longer you, after you die, after you die, or could it even be in this realm when you when you cessate, like material cessation when you stop all material activities? No, cessation uh, means stop living. All right, right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, like, <laughs> so after nirvana, which is when you're no longer living, all right. Yeah. Uh, there is a manifestation of spiritual activities or devotional service to the Lord known as Krishna consciousness. So like this, the idea of Nirvana is like matches with our Krishna consciousness aspect, which is like once you no longer exist in this mm -hmm. material world, there's something further out there in which you practice doing service for a greater... It's like liberation. Yeah. yeah. So it's just, that was liberation. just a cool fact because okay. I've never mm. uh, heard of that before. And connecting what you just said, Priya, liberation, in the words of Lord Chaitanya, who was like the ideal model of what we strive to be as devotees, um, this this clearance of the impure mirror of the mind is, is what we're referring to when we think of liberation. We're trying to cleanse our impure mind and become liberated in that way. And the words of the Bhagavatam, another sacred text that, um, you know, similar to the Bhagavad Gita that talks about all this Bhakti Yoga philosophy, this is the real life of the living entity. So basically to try to get liberated, to connect to Krishna, that is our real life. And everything else is kind of just like a dream within a dream. We call it Maya or illusion is the condition of spiritual life that's contaminated by the material infection, they call it. So it's kind of like an infection that makes us just forget what is our real purpose? What is our real life? And we're going about kind of just totally forgetting about that. But yes. our purpose is to connect to Krishna. Right. Yeah. Transcendental pleasure is real life. That is the natural transcendental pleasure. That's the ultimate goal of the yoga systems. And it's easily achieved when we execute devotional service or bhakti yoga. All right. That was a, that was a fun fact. Thank you. Any more fun <laughs> facts on fun? this verse? Well, I mean, I think to sort of wrap it up, uh, sort of, uh, it says that, Prabhupada says that the best practice of yoga in this age is Krishna consciousness. Yeah. Right? We can do the meditation. We can do the breathing. We can do all these things. These are helpful things that kind of get us to Krishna consciousness. And lay the groundwork. Yes, yep. exactly. The foundation. Um, but at the end of the day, Krishna consciousness, bhakti yoga is like the ultimate goal right uh, and that you know we have demands of the body we have all these things but you know krishna consciousness is what keeps us together moving forward in the the big picture path of exactly. our lives yeah yeah like you say we do have these demands but when we're in the pure bhakti yoga or krishna consciousness it doesn't arouse the senses while meeting the demands of the body so meaning like we can still eat, sleep, do the things that we need to survive, but our senses aren't totally immersed in like, let me indulge in all this food. Let me oversleep. Our senses aren't aroused in that way. We can still stay steady, focused on what is the goal while still meeting the demands of our body. Yeah. And like the meditation we were talking about, once you understand the bigger picture, things like anxiety and depression and all these Stress. things become understandable. You, you understand why they happen how to control the mind, right. how to help avoid them, how to really navigate in this world. And things that are like, 
seem really big, difficult right, right now, such as like disease, accidents, death of a loved one, scarcity, all these things. Right. It, they yeah. affect you differently. They oh, don't yeah. affect you the same way. They exactly. don't shake you. It's the thing that you were talking about in the meditation. It's yeah, like all right. the calamities that can potentially happen to us. And will happen sooner or later. Will happen. It's like, how do you not become shaken by all of those right, things? Right. It makes you strong. Exactly. It gives you perspective. It's still, you know, it'll still feel, her heart will feel it. Like if I were, when, one day I lose my parents, of course I can imagine the feeling, but it'll give me a bigger perspective. I know their soul is going to continue on their journey back yes. home to Krishna. It gives you a different insight that like you said, Shama, you're not so shaken by it. And there's one last line. It says, when the yogi is once situated in that transcendental position, he is never shaken from it. So there's no going back once you're there. Yeah, I love it. All right. Beautiful. That's a great way to end in our next episode. We will start with chapter six, text number 24. But thank you for listening, everybody. See you Bye. later. Bye. Hello, beautiful souls. If you like what you're hearing, please follow us on Instagram at Modern Yogi Podcast. And if you love what you're hearing, please make sure to share a link to our podcast at Modern Yogi Podcast with all your friends, families, and long lost cousins. And if you have any questions at all, send us a DM on Instagram at Modern Yogi Podcast and we'll be sure to get back to you. Thank you for listening to The, the Modern, Modern Yogi. Yogi.